Everybody has an outline? All right, awesome. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to study uh, what the Bible says in about 40 minutes here of what the Bible says about date, Satan, demons, and angels, which that's a series on each, every, every single one of those. But uh, before, we, before we jump in, what we're going to do first is we're just going to go to the Bible, all right? That's a good place to go, okay, if you're talking about that. Um, if you, but, but as you're going there, we're going to be uh, on this section, the names of Satan. Uh, have you guys noticed in, in the pop culture, uh, music, movies, things like that, that there is a lot of talk about demons, Satan, and angels? Think about if you've ever got, you know, if you're, if you're a mall type of person, which I usually make my annual mall visit sometime around this year. If you go into GameStop, if you go into any gaming store, there are a lot of games, video games, that have to do with demons. Uh, one store I always love to go into um, is Hot Topic. Now, Hot Topic is where like, you know, like a lot of heavy metal you know, type of stuff is, and there's a lot, of, a lot of dark music in there. It's a great way to witness. Go to you know, some of those kids that look like, you know, they're like a punk rock or something like that, and just say, you know, dude, tell me where the hardest music is in here. It's going to be like, dude, this right here. You know, and then you, can, then you can start talking. Actually, you can do a lot of great witnessing in places like that. But there's actually a movie that came out a couple years ago called Angels and Demons, right? Remember, it's got like Michael the Archangel on the front cover, and then he has two, I think it was MP5 machine guns. It's not exactly what the Bible talks about. So the reason why we, 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 we bring that to our minds is that sometimes we may think talking about the, the supernatural and things like that is some like something old and archaic and ancient. But actually in popular culture today, there's a lot of talk about the supernatural. And what it basically is for the most part is a twisting of what the Bible actually says. So if we can, number one, understand what the Bible says, we're going to be equipped to know God's word. And secondly, we're going to be able to be able to speak to what the culture is wanting to know about, right? So let's just start here um, with the names of Satan. And there's uh, about 20 here, and uh, you don't have to turn to all of these texts. I've copied them. I'm just going to read them to you. Uh, number one, the word Satan, it, it, the meaning is adversary. And this is from Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Then Jesus, and this is when Jesus being tempted, said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve, and him only shall you serve. Satan was trying to get Jesus to stumble, get Jesus to fall, get Jesus to fail, to do the opposite of what God had for Jesus. Uh, number two there is the, the name devil is slanderer. Um, just a little word here. A lot of times in established churches, traditional kind of churches, there is gossiping that goes on, okay? Gossiping and slander always comes from Satan, okay? If you have a person in the church and they're trying to divide the church or trying to cut down someone or leadership or get people to go against each other, that comes from Satan. There's nothing more satanic straight from the pit of hell than gossip and slander. And you, as a believer in Christ, um, if, you're, if you're a member of this church, if you hear of that type of stuff, you have every right, and I think that we have a duty and a responsibility to confront someone who's trying to divide the body of Christ by saying what you're doing is satanic. And you can quote the pastor on that, all right? Because that's what the text says. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led into the, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil's trying to slander what God was doing. Um, number three, the evil one. 
In other words, intrinsically evil. John 17, 15, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Satan is altogether evil. Uh, Number four, he's referred to as the great red dragon, which is a destructive creature. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3 says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems or crowns. In verse 7 of the same chapter, it says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels, Michael is the archangel, fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. So here's an example of spiritual warfare in the Bible. Verse 8, But he was defeated. That's pretty cool, right? Satan fought, he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon, now notice this, alright? In verse 9, the great dragon, dragons, if Imagine if they were real, right? If sci-fi, which is far more humorous and a lot more clean than Comedy Central, imagine if dragons were real. It'd be pretty scary. But it's not just any dragon. It's a great dragon. It's a grand dragon. It says, and was thrown down. All right? So there's this war. He gets thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. And here's what he does. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So here you basically have WWE Smackdown in the Bible. It's where this was war, Satan gets thrown out. Uh, number five, he's also called the serpent of old, the deceiver in Eden. This is the same reference in Revelation 12, verse 9. It says that he was the deceiver of the whole world. Also, there's an interesting word here, and this is Hebrew. It's called Abaddon, which means destruction. Revelation chapter 9, verse 11 says, They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. This is referring to plagues that will happen in the tribulation, which you don't want to be around when that happens. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. How many of you guys have ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Okay. Um, I, I would really encourage you. It's actually one of those books that you can read and just kind of sit back and like, man, this is deep stuff but it's actually fun to read, right? You know, sometimes we have like the deep books are not fun to read. The fun to read books don't teach you anything. It's an amazing allegory. And Satan throughout that book is called Apollyon, and, um, which is the destroyer. So, and we're going to make some application here in just a minute. We're going to stop right here. And if you think about it, out of the animal kingdom and humans, um, animals run away from things that they know is going to destroy them. Right? If an animal understands that there is a poison and they smell that something's wrong with this water hole or they sense danger, the animal's gone, right? They're gone. But as humans, it seems that we are repeatedly drawn to the very things that will destroy us, whether it's drugs or alcohol or the, the sins of spiritual pride and bitterness. It's very, very interesting because when you see that Satan is very active in the world, Satan is trying to pray and supercharge our depraved natures to do what's going to destroy us. He's also the adversary, the opponent. First Peter chapter eight, verse First Peter chapter five, verse eight. The Bible says, "Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." So Satan is constantly looking for. Victims, and that means that you and I are often in the crosshairs. Here's an interesting word, it's called Beelzebub. Okay, kind of sounds like a wrestler, right? 
Beelzebub, which it literally means Lord of the Fly, which is a reference to ancient pagan worship. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 24 says, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, or Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. And right here, if you've ever had anybody ask the question, What in the world is the unpardonable sin? You ever had somebody ask that? Like, how do I know if I've committed it and what is it? The unpardonable sin, according to Jesus, so this is right, okay, in Matthew chapter 12, what the unpardonable sin was, was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which was, these guys had memorized huge sections of the Old Testament. They knew what God's work was. They knew what Satan's work was. And when they saw Jesus cast out demons, they knew that it was the power of God. But in order to hold on to their religious pride and their religious control, here's what they did. And here's what the unpardonable sin is. They attributed the work of God to the work of the devil. They said, that's not the work of God, that's the work of the devil. Because that's exactly what's going on here in the text. And often, I think um, evangelists who have great hearts have twisted this around to say that the unpardonable sin is something that it's not. Okay. Now, if a person dies unsaved, every sin is unforgiven, right? It's just going to be facing the judge. There's no more mercy. Mercy has been rejected. It'll be only justice, a pure and undiluted. Like it says in Revelation, the, 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 the un, I believe, undiluted or unmixed wine of the wrath of God. So in that sense, every sin will be unforgiven if a person doesn't get saved. But the one thing that will block a person from ever being able to be forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So the question is, can people commit that today? Well, number one, most people today really don't know all that much about the Bible, okay? Popular culture. In other words, most people see things and they're not sure if it's a miracle or if it's, if it's an illusion or if, if that was a secret drug that was administered that raised that person up off their bed of sickness. So often today, we don't really know all that much about what is the work of God to be clear cut, right? In terms of like, well, I saw that person demon possessed and now they're not but I think that that was the work of the devil that saved them from being demon-possessed. Most people don't have that amount of knowledge to make that judgment call. And most people, this has been very, very helpful. I've learned this from uh, some godly ministers, that when a person asks you, and I've been asked by some really hardened men, what is, what is the unpardonable sin? And often when you explain it, then they said, well, I think... I, I, I may have committed the unpardonable sin. I just don't know if there's hope for me. If a person is concerned that there might not be hope for them, there is hope for them. Because you know what they're realizing? That they are in need of a Savior. I was um, on, on Saturday night, I went with a friend to Martinsville for the, the MMA fight there. And this guy, you know, we've prayed for him by name here a number of times. And I, th- I think that he's getting closer to being saved. He said, you know, Jeff, I just don't think that I have it in me. I just don't think I have it in me to change and get saved. And I said, well, man, that's the first part. You've got to realize that you don't have it in you. That the only thing that's in you is evil and wickedness. I told him that. No, no, Jeff, that, that's kind of hard. That's the same thing with me. We've got to understand that it's not the point of a bad person becoming a good person. It's the point of a hopeless person being saved by a Savior who gives hope. And that's the difference between religion and Christianity. It's the fact that I am doomed and damned. I have no hope in the world. I can't change myself. I'm addicted. I am doomed. And I see 
through the darkness, the hand of Jesus come down and he pulls me up out of that pit. He gives me a new heart, gives me a new life. He changes me and he forgives me. And that's the gospel. Okay. So all of that, when we go back and look at Matthew chapter 12 and see about the sin against the Holy Spirit, I hope that that will help us um, not give people um, ideas that are not true. Uh, Next one is Belial, which uh, literally means uh, a son of Belial. You see this phrase in the Old Testament for really bad guys. Uh, It means worthless. And this is um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. The Bible says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Uh, What accord has Christ with, here's the word, with Belial? In other words, what does Jesus have to do with worthlessness? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And uh, a note I would write here if you're taking notes is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. When Jesus says, uh, what if the salt loses its saltiness? It is henceforth good for nothing except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot of men. So the point of us being saved is that we're qualitatively different. All right? Amen? Okay? Not because we're good people, but because Christ has saved us. So when we see that Satan is referred to here um, as Belial, as worthless, it means that a person who lives their life in the service of Satan at the end won't have anything to show for it. Um, Another one will be the God of this world, which means that Satan controls world patterns of thought. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So have you ever um, been sitting in church with a lost friend, or you're there, you're trying to share the gospel, tell what Christ has done in your life to a lost person, and they just kind of look at you with a blank stare, like you have just told them that you have been abducted by aliens, you know, like you and Dennis Kucinich, the aliens got you guys to get there, you know, and you and they just look at you like, what are you talking about? And you're like, dude, I, like I'm not that smart, but I can explain to you how the best option is that Jesus actually rose from the dead and God actually exists and the universe had a cause and the cause was an immaterial mind, spirit and God himself and all of these facts And then you tell about what Christ actually did, and they just look at you, and they're like, so are you ready to go get something to eat now? Like, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't hit. The reason why is not because, and I think this is very helpful too, the issue is not intellectual smarts, the issue is spiritual blindness. Remember um, when the Apostle Paul and this is a big debate among scholars whether this is literal or figurative. Remember when, when he was on the road to Damascus, right? Like Jesus pursued him. Jesus is like, I'm going to save that dude, right? And Jesus shows up, knocks him off the horse, basically. He hears the voice and, and he's blinded. The guys lead him by the hand into the city. And he's there for three days fasting, doesn't know what's going on. Ananias comes in. Imagine if God told you to go to the guy who was coming to your city to kill you. And he went in there and he he laid his hands and he said, Brother, Brother Saul. And the scripture says, and it was like scales that fell from his eyes. When Christ saves a person, the spiritual blindness goes. You say, we know what Jesus takes away. Do we know that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil? But how does that work? I believe what we did tonight is when we pray, 
God has, has arranged his sovereignty in such a way that he says, when you pray, I will work. Right? Old, old school revival verse, what is it? 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? Pray, okay? Which is not normal, you know, Lord, we thank you for, you know, just like passionless monologues. I mean, like blood and guts praying, like, God, please save this person. And when he does that, the, 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 the blindness will, will leave. Um, Satan's also called the God of this world. Same text. Uh, uh, actually, we just went through that. He's also called the ruler of this world in John chapter 12, verse 31. The Bible says, now is the judgment of this world. Uh, now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Great note here on John chapter 12, verse 31, is Jesus, this is, by the way, for, for those of you who really enjoy thinking about the text, this is brilliant. Because what Jesus just said is that the judgment of Satan and the destruction of Satan would come from the death of the Son of God. When Jesus says, I will be lifted up, that literally is a reference to the cross when they would lift up a dying, tortured person who's almost dead. This means that the way that God works and brings victory is through often defeat, seeming defeat. Often the way that God grows us in our lives is through us going through very, very, very difficult things. Things that we sit, look back and say, I don't think I, I, don't think I could have been able to endure that had it not been for the Lord. So often when you go through times of it seems like the whole world is against, it seems like Satan is shooting at you, understand that the only reason why we have hope is because Jesus died and rose again. But he couldn't rise again if he didn't die. And often there's not many things that we could accomplish in our lives for Christ if there's not some death. Uh, One of our uh, friends from, from Greenville, his dad said something. He said, in order for something to happen in a business, in a church, anything in the world, he had this phrase, somebody's got to bleed. Those of you who worked hard, you know, anytime, like I've heard that marriage marriage is work, you know, like somebody's got to bleed. Somebody's got to give out. Somebody's got to, and often, you know, be, um, guys, if you do something stupid, she'll, she'll beat you down. But... Um, <coughs> There's got to be some type of sacrifice. Another one here uh, would be the prince of the power of the air. This is Ephesians chapter 2. This is huge. In fact, we went through this um, last year. I'm going to just read a couple of verses here from Ephesians 2. Um, and it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. Question, can a dead man help himself? I mean, not unless he's like a really talented dead dude. Right? Okay. Alright, verse number 2. So, so all of us before Christ are dead. In which you once walked, so it's almost like, and I'm, this is not a humorous reference, but you're thinking about dead men walking. Okay? Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And here's the explanation of what that means. I love how the Bible explains itself. That's why when, we, when you teach through the Bible, just teach through it. Don't pick a verse here, 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 and rip them all out of context. Here's what it is. Um, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Here's more explanation. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the Bible here says that Satan is in charge of taking the lead and helping people realize that life is about them. Notice that it says that the the lust or the passions of the mind. 
selfish thoughts. The type, of, the type of thinking that says, you know what, I'm not out there killing people, but this is my job, right? Our, our four-week series on money, materialism, this is, this is my money, this is my life, this is my, 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 my. No, it's not. There are no self-made men. Go back far enough, someone changed a diaper somewhere along the line, okay? All of us. Not only that, but it says that living in the flesh. So you've, you've got every type of sinful desire against God, and it says that Satan... <laughs> is the one, the spirit, the prince of the power of the air that is working in the sons of disobedience. So verse 4 is the best part, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love, of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. That's an amazing, amazing promise. Uh, another one would be here, uh, an enemy. Satan is an enemy, he's an opponent. Matthew chapter 13, verse 28. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants have uh, said to him, then do you want us to go gather them? I would make a note here um, that in Matthew 13, it's the parable of the sower, right? Where the sower went out, spread in seed, which means the gospel is spread. And then people got saved, represented by the grain that grew up. And then it said, an enemy went and planted tares, which is kind of looks like a wheat, but there's not anything in there. You know what this means? It means that Satan goes and follows the work of God. When God builds a church, when God saves people, Satan plants his people in the middle of them. So that means that, and and then, you know, Jesus is talking here in the parable, the servants are like, okay, well, we see, we see and know that there are false, that there's false fruit in the real fruit. So you don't want us to go pick it out. And he says, no, no, it's going to tear up everything, right? I mean, if you've got like every other one is a false one, you're going to rip up the whole garden and it's just going to be a wreck and the, the good crop's going to be damaged. But for us, that means that there are people within the professing church, which means people who look saved are not actually saved. And Jesus gives this horrifically scary picture at the end of the parable when he makes the the, I guess the application, and he says that the angels are going to come and they're going to divide. They're going to, they're going to take the faults and they're going to bundle and put them over to the fire to be burned with the references hell. And they're going to take the real, the genuine ones, the ones who God has truly saved, and they're going to be taken onto the storehouse. So I would just take, take a moment to, to encourage all of us to do what the Bible says to make sure that you're saved. Um, you're calling election, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. I went to church all growing up. When I was 19, I got saved for real. I'll say there are tons of people. Billy Graham um, gave a very, very large percentage of the professing church that he actually thought was lost. Billy Graham. So the Bible says it. Billy Graham says it. So obviously, it's got to be true. Okay? <laughs> so the, uh, the tempter, Satan also. This is, this is huge. Um, the tempter, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, um, this is, it says, And the tempter came to him, this is Jesus in the wilderness, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan will try to tempt us with normal desires. Is it wrong to eat? No. That's actually a God-given desire, because if we didn't have the desire to eat, some of us may die. But what Satan tried to do is twist it out of 
um, out of context. Another, two more here. Um, one would be uh, Satan is a murderer. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus said, I lo- I, by the way, I love Jesus. And here, here's a great thing I would encourage you to do. When you read through the Bible, um, and hold me accountable on this. Say, one of the things would be like, how does Jesus talk? Like his tone. Number, secondly, the content of what Jesus says in terms of, I guess we could say, sermonic brutality. Okay? And is that what I hear from Pastor Jeff? And is that what I hear from preaching at large? Notice what Jesus says to this church crowd. You're of your father, the devil. That's a great intro to a sermon, right? Hello, brethren. You are all children of the devil. Right? Like people are cashing in their church membership cards, and here's what he says. And your will is to do your father's desires. Notice. He, speaking of Satan, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So that means that Satan wants to destroy us, wants to destroy God's work by whatever means possible. And finally, Satan is the accuser. This is from Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. So that is just a very succinct picture of Satan. So one of the questions is, where did Satan come from? You ever wondered that before? Like, I don't have to read very far in the Bible until I say there's a really bad character. <clears throat> there are two wrong views if you're, you're taking notes. By the way, does anybody need a pen? We've got, we've got pens, free pens, going once, going twice. Okay, all right, we're good? All right, good deal. Um, two wrong views here would be, well, they're basically the same thing. One would be uh, Manichaeism and dualism. And this is kind of going to our, our Star Wars friends that says, okay... So we've got this good power, we've got this power of light, and then we've got this power of darkness, and they're just, I mean, with cosmic theological lightsabers dueling it out forever. Sometimes light gets stronger and pushes back the darkness, and sometimes darkness kind of gets fired up and pushes back the light. That is not what Scripture says. And furthermore, it's illogical. And go with me on this. If you have two equal forces... And if we think that one force is for creation, for bringing things into existence, for life, for goodness, and the other is for death and destruction, then if they actually are equal, like good God, capital G, bad God, capital G, good God, little g, bad God, little g, either way you want to swing it, there would never be anything created. You guys tracking with me on that? Because if there is a dualistic, two-parted, cosmic force, then the second that the good one would bring something into existence, it would be extinguished by the other. Okay? So that, and, and by the way, that, that's, 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 basic, that's basic logic. So you can use that with your friends if, if people are confused with that. But here's the common question. I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. Question I've heard um, actually a lot uh, when I used to go to uh, the boys' home would be, why would God create Satan? I'd write this down or remember it. 
God did not make Satan, Satan. We've got to understand that phrase. God did not make Satan, Satan. God created Satan as a beautiful, angelic creature who, like all moral beings, has the ability to reject or to follow God. Okay? And right here we're going to go deep for just a minute. Um, <clears throat> something I would encourage you to write down as well would be, um, if you want to go do a Google search on this, you can get some great stuff. It's called a CCF. It's called a counterfactual of creaturely freedom. Okay? And unless you want people to not be your friends anymore, it may be better to say it like, if there is the ability to love, there also has to be the ability to hate. Or for love to truly exist, there has to be the possibility of rebellion. And uh, this comes from Alvin Plantinga. And here's, here's what he said. He said, a world of sinners is better than a world without humans. To misuse free will is better than to have to never have had it at all. In other words, let's imagine, okay? <clears throat> if God were to create a world in which there was never anything bad, no moral evil, no bad things, do you know what there could not be in that world? There could not be love. What, is it, what, is it, what, what does love require? Some of you married people help us out. Forgiveness. Okay. What, what does there have to be? I mean, what, what are some of the requirements for there to be for the man to say to the woman or the woman to say to the man, I love you? Like, what has there got to be kind of like in, in the basement of the soul there? Okay. All right. I've got this feeling. Right? Yeah. Okay. I, think I was thinking some oldies. Good. Okay. Sorry. That was... Okay. Well, what else? Trust. Okay. What else? Yes. So the element of choice is there in how God defines love. Good. And by the way, Ben, I, I think I'm going to tag you on this. Ben and I have actually had some conversations about this, and Ben is very, very, um, I'm going to just put out there, I think you're very knowledgeable on that this, this issue of choice. So if you have any questions, um, feel free to contact Ben. He's got some great, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to work it out under the table somehow, but you know, but uh but in all seriousness, think about it like this, counterfactual factual of creaturely freedom. What that means is that for a creature to truly be free, for a, for a creature to have the ability to love, to be moral, to not be a robot or not to be an animal, right? Animals respond based upon instinct and behavior modification, Pavlov's theory, etc. There has to be the element of choice, I don't think that it would help married guys. I don't think it would help your game very much to be like, you know, your wife said, you know, okay, Valentine's Day, for example, Sue, okay? You know, your wife comes in, honey, do you love me? Well, I was predetermined um, because there is no way that my, the chemicals in which comprise my being would be able to choose anything other. So I, and she, you know, that's not very romantic or true. Because love necessitates a choice. So when we get to ask the question, which, by the way, it's a very good question if you're coming from outside Christianity, because you see Christians talking about how God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for this food, 
Amen. But then you see this horrific character that deceives the whole world, that is trying to get people's lives destroyed. It's called the father of lies. We're like, okay, but if God created everything, then did God create that monster? God did not create Satan as Satan. God created Satan to be um, a beautiful angelic creature to bring glory to God. Susan? We're actually going to get to that in just a sec. Yeah, great, great question. Man, all right, we're going to have to get Truck in here. Um, so any, any questions on that, by the way? That, that's a huge, uh, we could actually get into that for probably about four weeks in a row, but that's just enough to, any? Yeah. Okay, and actually we're going to get to that. In fact, yeah, good, good question. The question is basically like, is our love the same as, or would, 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 would that scenario apply to us as well? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I am, this is probably going to get me in a lot of trouble. I do not think that after the fall we have libertarian free will because of many of the texts that we just read. So now, hold on, does that, does that mean that we have no ability to, to choose God? It's not that we don't want to, it's that we, or it's not that we can't, it's that we don't want to. But because of what Christ did, he draws us to himself, we have the ability to respond through the power of the Holy Spirit. But um, actually, since you asked that, and I open up the can of worms, and everybody looks confused, let's turn on the back uh, of our sheet here, a comparative chart of God, angels, and men. Uh, let's go down to um, third from the bottom, nature and will. You guys see that? Okay. Um, the mode of being here um, for nature and will. In other words, nature would be, I would write a little um, asterisk there and say the essential properties. It's like what a thing actually is. Okay. Um, for God, his nature does not change. His will does not change. And that's good, all right? That's good news because that means that God will never have a cosmic mood swing. That means that God will always be perfect. But for angels, only the will can change. Remember um, the passage? I don't think we've got to it yet, but I'll just explain it this way. Um, When Satan rebelled, a third of the demons or the angels followed him. Okay? There's no reference in Scripture that God ever offers redemption to angels. Redemption is only offered to mankind. So that means that once they chose, they chose. But notice for, for men, this is, this, is, uh, this is amazing, that both the nature and the will can change. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 that we read? We were dead in sins and trespasses. Our nature, our sinful nature can be ripped apart, destroyed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can have the ability to follow God in actuality. Um, And also the will can change. The will can change where before it was about me, but when Jesus came into my life, my will is now inclined towards my Father. Like Jesus said, um, I must do my Father's will. Um, Let let me get to a couple of these before we have to go here. Um, Number two, uh, the first question, once again, why would God create Satan? Once again, God did not make Satan Satan, but God created him as a beautiful angelic creature to bring glory to God um, who had the ability to reject or 
follow God. Number two is where did demons come from? Let me give you a couple of references here. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and Jude 6. I'm not going to take the time to read those, but what the Bible says is that all demons were at one time angels. So that answers the question again. Why would God, being good, create demons? God did not create demons, but he created free creatures who had the ability to actually be servants of him. And that's a qualitative distinction because often when we think of servant, we think of not being able to have a will involved. If you serve someone and you don't have a will involved, you're a zombie, not a servant. That's why the Apostle Paul, this is very, very important, uses the phrase bondservant. Okay? Bondservant means one who has chosen to follow. So when God created it, all of the angelic host to bring glory to him and to serve him and to be messengers. We're going to see here in just a second. He did it with the ability of them to actually not be zombie creatures, but to be creatures who would be able to serve him. And after the demonic, after the rebellion happened, they've chosen to serve him or reject him. Uh, number three, man, there's just so much good stuff. Uh, is demon, demonic possession real? Okay, now, I've never seen The Exorcist. And by the way, I would encourage you not um, if you can, to go down the route of seeing a lot of things that deal with the, the occult and demonism. Because um, I don't believe that a Christian can be possessed by Satan, because I think the New Testament cle- teaches clearly against that. But I think that we can be affected in our thinking patterns. Um, for example, if I put myself and I read books and I see movies that deal with, with, with horrific demonic fear all the time, my mind's going to be filled with the thoughts of the fear of demons, the fear of the occult, the fear of hauntings and so forth, instead of the fear of God. Um, angels, actually, if you would say, where did the angels come from? This, the Bible says they were created, Psalm 148, uh, verses 2 and 5. It says, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. In verse number 5, Psalm 148, it says, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Okay? There's some people say angels always existed with God. No, he created them. And most theologians um, think that it was cre- that they were created um, sometime in between um, the days of creation and the fall of man. Okay? Because the Bible doesn't tell us specifically when, but it would have to be somewhere within that time frame because Satan was there to tempt uh, people to fall. And... Um, What do angels do? This is pretty cool. Let me, give you, let me give you six of these. We're going to blast through them. What do angels actually do? Number one, they continually praise and glorify God. Revelation 5, 11, and 12. Number two, uh, they reveal and communicate God's message to humans. Remember Gabriel and Zechariah in the temple, right? Old dude in the temple doing his job. And then the angel shows up and you be like, by the way, your honey, she's having a kid. And he's, you know, who are you talking to? And then, and then he, couldn't, he couldn't talk. And uh, we don't know if, if Zachariah was a talker, but wouldn't that have been funny if he would have been? You know, some people, they just, doesn't matter when or where, they just, I mean, they're going a mile a minute. Wouldn't that have been great? I mean, I don't know, maybe we'll find out in heaven. You know, we hear one dude talking to Zachariah. We're like, man, that had to be, you know, Elizabeth is like, Lord, thank you, right? Give me a few months of, of that. But, uh, but angels would be used for that. Number three, angels are used to protect believers from harm. Acts chapter 12 and verses 6 through 11, it was the angel who broke Peter out of jail, right? 
I mean, he's there chained between two Roman soldiers. The angel comes, supernatural bolt cutters, boom, boom. No sound. He's cut out. The chains fall off. He opens up. The gate is opened up without making a sound. He shows up at the prayer meeting. <laughs> They're praying for him to be released, and he shows up. He's like, your prayer's been answered. Slam the door in his face. Go back in. Forget he's out there. That's funny, right? That's, that's funny. Um, number four. This is actually great. Um, the angels watch our lives. 1 Corinthians 4.9, 1 Timothy 5.21. Um, these notes, we'll put them up online too if you guys want to check them out. And number five, uh, according to Luke chapter 16, verse 22, when Lazarus died and he was carried to Abraham's bosom, which is a Jewish metaphor for heaven, angels at death transport believers to heaven. So that means when Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, not only is his Holy Spirit with us, not only does he often provide, um, and we'll give you one story here in just a moment, protection through angels, but according to that text, God actually transports um, people to his presence so that the second that a person is saved to the point that they reach the presence of their heavenly Father, they are never alone. And that is good news especially if you talk to an orphan, especially if you've talked to people who have had horrible, horrible family lives, to say that the Bible says, when it says that God is the husband of the fatherless, or the husband of the widow, and um, the father of the fatherless, he really actually means it. And number six, they will return with Christ. Matthew 25. So that means well, angels, when Jesus comes back, the angels will be there. Um, my friend Dr. Joe, who brought the band up here in the summer, he told a story uh, when he went by himself to Brazil several years ago to go visit one of the translators down there. He's one of his really close friends. And he said that he got off of the plane, something was, was going on in the airport, and he says he was just like mobbed with what he said were like hundreds of, of young kids, and he didn't know any way to go. And he said there was this, this little old man uh, dressed kind of like a person who would work in the airport. Um, but not exactly having the same outfit as the other airport workers. Um, he came and took Dr. Joe um, by the hand and escorted him where he needed to go. And Dr. Joe did some, did some research and was not able to find that that person worked or existed there at all. And, um, and you're talking about a guy who's been to Brazil, I think, what is it, 15 times? 15 times. That was a few years ago. So you're not talking about a rookie traveler, but he said it was just not a good situation. But he says, I believe with all my heart that God, he says, I just, you know, Lord, help me. Like, I don't know what to do in this situation. He says, I believe that God provided an angel to help me um, get to safety. Before we go, let me give you five action points. These are from Millard Erickson of what we can take away from this study. Number one, it is a comfort to know that there are powerful unseen agents to help us in our time of need. 2 Kings 6.17, when Elisha was there and the servant said, you know, they were surrounded, Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And God opened the eyes of the servant and he saw, because Elisha said there are more who are with us than are against them. And by the way, when you're against the world, when you're trying to serve Christ, even though it may seem like you're the only one in the office, you're the only one in the family who wants to serve the Lord Jesus, there are more on your side than there are for them. And God has your back, even though we may not see it. Number two, angels serve as an excellent example of worship. In the book of Revelation, they are worshiping God 24-7. It is an unwavering passion. So for me, 
As a man, as a human being, I can look at angels throughout Scripture and see how they always deflect praise to God and how they serve Him with unwavering passion. Number three, there is a sobering and a scary fact that angels actually fell and they were close to God. So that means that it is, is imperative for me, um, as it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, be careful that you don't fall. Number four, knowledge about how Satan works allows us to be prepared for his attacks and to guard against fear of Satan or obsession with Satan. Because it can swing between being terrified of him, that's not good, and being obsessed about him, which is um, wrong also. Number five, Satan is limited and can be resisted and God is sovereign and the final thing tonight, my life verse, my favorite verse, Revelation twelve thirteen. it says, speaking of us, and they, were the they, they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even in the face of death. And as we think about places like North Korea and uh, Iran, there are people um, that I believe that the Western media never hears about who have done that very thing. So let's not forget him and remember that through Christ we win. Alright? Let's pray and uh, we will not meet next Wednesday. We're going to let people have time with their families, but we hope that you guys can come with us on Saturday night at 7 with our Christmas Eve service. And we're not going to have Sunday school on Sunday morning, just an 11 o'clock service. If you can, um, get your friends and family to come. I'm just going to preach a gospel message from John 3.16 on Sunday morning. Just the, just the gospel on what it means to be saved. So, um, y'all are an awesome group, man. I appreciate you guys and appreciate you learning this stuff, and I hope it helps. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being an amazing God and giving us so much truth, Lord. It seems like every Wednesday night we're barely able to prick the surface of of the gold mine of truth that you have for us. And God, I pray that you would um, encourage the ones of us who may be uh, going through. Um, spiritual warfare and demonic attack or depression or the enemy's trying to discourage us in some way. God, I pray that you would just protect my brothers and sisters who are here tonight, that you would help us to realize that in you we win, that Satan is a created being and you have him on a leash and sometimes we don't know why the leash is longer than it is, but we do know, God, that you tell us that all things will work out uh, for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And we ask, Father, that you would take this time and you would, um, what has been said in truth, that you would burn it into our hearts and help us to remember that we are your servants. Whom shall we fear? In Jesus' name, amen.